Welcome to this week's Energy Show. This week, we're talking about solar incentives. Now, solar is an expensive upgrade to your home or to your business. So solar panels are expensive, and the installation work is, is pretty complicated. There's a lot of electrical work, wiring, and mounting system work that has to be done, plus all the permits and engineering and design work. But the incentives for solar make it a quite affordable upgrade. And when I say affordable, that means that you have fast paybacks, typically in the range of four to eight years for businesses and homeowners. And if you finance the system, say you borrow the money, in almost every single case, the monthly payments that you make on the system are much less than the savings you get on electricity. So you may save $200 a month on electricity and your payments on the system might be $125. You come out ahead, cash flow positive. Or if you have the, the capital for it, finance it, you're going to get a fast payback. But these fast paybacks and cash flow positive benefits are as a result of the incentives that are out there for solar. And there's been a lot of work in the solar industry over the last few years to make sure that these incentives continue. And it's been kind of over the last six months an end-of-the-world scenario whereby the incentives were going to expire and then make solar expensive again. And that would be bad for the industry, bad for homeowners, bad for customers. The less solar would go in, I think the utilities would be happy about it. But the solar industry would slow down. It wouldn't go away, but it would slow down. So two big changes happened in December of 2015. The first is that the federal investment tax credit was extended and that extension goes through till 2021. The second big decision that happened is the California Public Utilities Commission made a preliminary decision. It's preliminary, but preliminary, that net metering will continue. That means that you can continue to run your electric meter backwards, whether you're a home or a business solar user, for 20 years or as long as you have the system. So it's a really, really good decision, and it continues positive economics for solar. Now, the investment tax credit applies all over the country. The net metering really is only kind of on a state-by-state basis. So whereas California last month came out with a very favorable decision to net metering, which is going to continue the the growth of the solar industry and continue to make it really cost-effective for you to put solar in, other states like Hawaii and, and actually last month Nevada decided to emasculate net metering, to reduce the benefits of net metering so much that the economics for solar now go from like a a five-year payback to a 15- or 20-year payback. So we're going to talk more specifically about how these incentives are going to impact your savings for solar and what they are right now. Because there's a lot of misinformation in the solar industry about, hey, buy solar now because the tax credits are going to go away or net metering is going to change. Well, the reality is that the tax credit is solid until 2021. And in many states, we've got good long-term net metering policies. All right. Now, let's talk first about what the investment tax credit is and why that long-term extension is so important to the solar industry. The federal investment tax credit gives purchasers of a solar system a 30% credit on their taxes for all the costs related to putting in a solar system. So it includes the installation costs, the equipment costs, any kind of upgrades you need to make to the building specifically for the solar. And those are tax credits. In other words, if you have a $50,000 tax liability and you put in a $20,000 system, you'll get $20,000 times 30% or $6,000. Your tax bill will go from fifty dollars down to $44,000. So it's a credit, not a deduction. Credits are much better than deductions. And this credit applies for both residential and commercial installations. Now, 
what was going to happen at the end of 2016, at the end of this year, was that the residential credit was going to go from 30% to zero. So, you know, that the whole solar industry, including us here at Cinnamon Solar, we were marketing very hard to customers last year that you've got to buy in 2016 because if you don't, basically the cost of your system is going to go up by 30%. Commercial had a similar situation. The difference is the commercial tax credit didn't go to zero at the end of 2016, but it went down to 10%. So there, there are different parts of the tax code. Technically, residential is in Section 48 of the tax code and commercial is in Section 25 of the tax code. But in either case, to have that tax credit go to either zero for homeowners or 10% to commercial owners would significantly reduce the, the economic benefits of solar and, and really slow the industry down. I mean, we're looking at scenarios within the industry where 50 to 100,000 people would be unemployed or underemployed. You know, the salespeople would find that it'd be a lot harder to sell jobs. So the surprise, and, and it was a surprise to many of us in the solar industry, but not a surprise to the people who've been working so hard on it. But the surprise was Congress in December decided to extend the solar tax credits until 2021. So the reality is, if you're thinking about solar, if you don't have solar, there's no fire drill emergency that you need to put that solar system in like right away. Your installer, including us at Cinnamon Solar, would love you to do it sooner rather than later. But it's not like your tax credits are going to expire. So don't worry about that. You can kind of ignore those ads that are still out there saying, hurry up and buy solar because it's pretty solid. Now, the tax credits were not just extended out of the goodness of the hearts of our Democratic and Republican congressmen. This was work that was done really over a period of years by the Solar Energy Industries Association, by Vote Solar, by CalSIA, the California Solar Energy Industries Association, and a lot of other state organizations and environmental organizations. So you have to really give credit and give a good shout out to Roan Resch and his team at SIA and Bernadette Del Chiaro and her team at CalSIA and Adam Browning and his team at Vote Solar for working so hard over the past few years to extend that tax credit. And the reason why it was so surprising is I can't really think of anything that Congress really did over the past few years that was really that uh, bipartisan and constructive. Now, the deal that Congress made was that they traded the solar tax credit extension for a relaxation of the oil export ban. So the basic deal was a lot of fossil fuel people and, and Republicans said, all right, well, we're going to get to export more oil from the U.S. And there was a ban on exporting oil from the U.S. And in exchange for that, we're going to let the solar industry continue to grow. So, you know, the fossil fuel people got something. The solar industry got something. Democrats and Republicans all sat around and sang Kumbaya and then went home for Christmas. But it was a really, really constructive thing. Now, here's the specifics of the extension because it's not that simple. For residential, the tax credit is 30 percent in 2016. That didn't change because it didn't expire until the end of 2016. But also 30 percent in 2017, 2018, and 2019. And then... It phases down to 26% in 2020 and 22% in 2021. So in 2021, you're going to get a 22% tax credit instead of a 30% tax credit. And then in 2022, then we can start talking about the, the world ending again because the, the residential tax credit is going to go away. But you know, people in the solar industry are pretty confident that two things are going to happen by then. One, the price of solar systems are going to come down even more. 
And two, the price of electricity is going to go up even more. So the economics won't really be harmed. There may be issues about net metering and other charges that utilities put in place, but it's not going to be the end of the world. Now, from a commercial standpoint, the tax credit was supposed to be 30% in 2016 and then going to 10% 2017 and forevermore after that. Now what's going to happen is that the commercial tax credit is going to be 30% in 2016 as before, 2017, 2018, and 2019, then 26% in 2020, 22% in 2021, and then it's going to go to 10% thereafter. So it's not going to be eliminated. It's going to continue. And now the good thing is about the commercial tax credit is commercial installations also get the benefit of something called accelerated depreciation. That adds up to be about another 20% reduction in the cost of a system. So this is a big deal for the solar industry. What it means is that the industry is not going to collapse in 2017. It also means that the industry is not going to like have this temporary explosion in 2016 as everybody rushes to get systems in. So it basically gives installers, manufacturers, and, and customers more certainty about the long-term benefits of the industry. It helps build a stable industry. That's what we want to do. We want to build a stable industry like, like many other industries that are just meeting the needs of people in the country. It's good for customers because there's not going to be this huge panic rush. You're not under the gun to make a decision. Hey, take your time. As I said, as a solar installer, I'd rather have you install sooner rather than later, but I'm not going to tell you that uh, the sky is going to fall and you got it by now. Now, and the other benefit is that we're already seeing more investments in the U.S. solar industry right now. I mean, it's just happened this week. There's solar companies are hiring on a more steady basis. There's investments happening in new products. There's more venture capital activity. I mean, it's just kind of like they woke up. It's like, oh, the solar industry is not going to go kaput in 2017. It's going to be good through 2021. So that's all very, very positive. So that's the investment tax credit. The next thing we're going to talk about, it's a little bit more complicated, is net metering. And we've talked about net metering on a number of shows before. Net metering is basically the way you can run your electric meter backwards and and when the meter is going backwards, and when I say backwards, that means your house or your commercial building is generating more power than you're using. So the excess power flows backwards through the meter, and you get full retail credit for that. So if your electric rate is $0.25 cents a kilowatt hour, and you send 100 kilowatt hours back to the utility, you're going to get 100 times 25. You're going to get 25 bucks. That's pretty good. Or you get a credit on the bill. They're not going to write you a check. So net metering, very elegant. Now, at night or when it's cloudy, you're drawing power normally. Now, the utilities don't like this because it basically reduces their revenue. And it reduces the amount of generating capacity that they get to install, which reduces their net assets. But net metering, super important to customer economics. And the, thing, the other reason why I like it is, it's really, really simple. Everybody can understand it. It's not that, you know, not that complicated. Now, here's what happened in California. Once again, last, last December, there was a preliminary California Public Utilities Commission decision. They call it the PD, preliminary decision, to continue with net metering at the retail rate, but with just a few little tiny changes. And then we'll talk about what those changes are in a minute. So what that means is in California, although it would be better to sign up under the existing net metering program, the future net metering program doesn't sound that bad. It's going to be a little less economically viable. There'll be a few other chargers, but it's not going to be the end of the world. Now, let's talk about how these electric rates are set. Like, Where, where do we come up with these, these rates? How does the Public Utility Commission decide what to allow utilities to charge 
businesses and consumers. Well, the rates are basically set literally after years of, of torturous negotiations and, and lawsuits with stakeholders and the Public Utilities Commission. And these stakeholders are the utilities, and obviously the utilities want higher rates, and they're going to basically say, our costs are really high, so we need high rates, and they kind of inflate their costs. The stakeholders are consumer advocates, and, and these are sometimes consumers, but there's organizations that, that advocate for consumers, and they want low rates, right? Businesses and consumers want cheap rates. What's interesting is the homeowners and the business owners, they have almost no say unless they want to go to one of these boring hearings or, or send an email, but they're, they're representatives in some way by other organizations. And then, you know, obviously, you have other industries like the energy storage industry and, and very actively the solar industry advocating for rates that are good for solar. Now, selfishly uh, and ironically, the solar industry benefits when the rates are higher because then solar turns out to be more cost-effective. That's just kind of the reality. Now, the way that the rates are usually set are based on the cost of service plus a fair profit for the utilities. So the utilities say, this is how much it costs us to run the grid and deliver power, plus we want to make a 10 or 11% profit. So the rates should reflect the costs, plus a defined profit. And then the PUC decides kind of what those costs, whether the utilities' representations of the costs are correct. And obviously the utilities are always going to try and say their costs are higher than they really are, and that way they get to charge higher rates. Now, that's the way it is. California... In this case, good example, net metering is, is on the preliminary decision, supposed to continue, which is great. But that's not the case in other places. I mean, just over the past few months, we had two very bad examples of public utilities commissions deciding that solar's got to change. Now, one is in Hawaii, and that happened about six months ago. And Hawaii basically said, yes, our regular electric rates are 40 cents a kilowatt hour, and we're going to let the net metering customers get 15 cents a kilowatt hour. So it kind of collaborated. So economics of solar in, in Hawaii just really, really went downhill fast. I mean, instantly. Now, ironically, the economics for storage in Hawaii just really, really got better. But for regular solar homeowners who are looking at putting in a system, economics aren't as good in 2016 as they were in 2014 and early 2015. Now, in most states, and in almost every single case, the existing rates are grandfathered. So if you had a solar system in Hawaii, put it in a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, you're still going to be able to get full retail net metering. But if you're looking at putting in a system in 2016, the deal's going to be different. But recently, Nevada came up with a really bad decision. The Nevada Public Utilities Commission, let's just say they must have been very, very, very heavily influenced by the utilities. Here's what they decided to do. Nevada Energy, which is the utility subsidiary of Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, persuaded the Nevada Public Utilities Commission to basically eliminate net metering. They want to reimburse homeowners at their wholesale rate, not the retail rate. And what's worse is that the change applies to all existing solar customers. There's no grandfathering. In other words, if you put in solar a year ago in Nevada and you had net metering, and let's say the electric rate was 15 cents a kilowatt hour, I'm not sure exactly what it is, Suddenly, you're going to be experiencing a net metering rate of, of half that wholesale rate. And it's really terrible. It really totally screws the existing customers. And, and a lot of people are saying it's illegal. Now, many studies, and the, re, and the logic behind the Public Utilities Commission doing this was there's a terrible situation of cost shifting. The solar customers are getting a free ride. They're able to draw from the grid at night, and they're not paying anything for that. But there's a lot of much more objective studies 
and perhaps less objective studies from the solar industry that show that there's no cost shift from solar customers to other customers. There's actually an independent Nevada state legislator study that was done, I think, in 2014 that shows that solar customers benefited non-solar customers to the tune of $36 million a year. Now, what are these benefits? And these benefits are things like increased property tax revenue, more solar jobs, reduced air pollution, more stable energy generation because they have a, a you know bigger portfolio of power sources. So, so the actual when, – when they kind of considered some of these externalities but real factors, they found that the solar customers really were helping, benefiting – non-solar customers. There wasn't a cost shift from that added an extra burden to non-solar customers. And in fact, the reality was was opposite, that solar solar people who were investing in their own systems were benefiting everybody else. Now, I kind of look at this and I say, boy, this is really crooked policy in Nevada because they did something really sneaky. When Nevada Energy, the utility, was justifying their installation of a utility-scale solar system, you know, big solar in the desert in Nevada, they basically included all these externality benefits. They included things like property tax revenues and cleaner air and more stable energy generation when they justified Nevada Energy putting in their own solar. But when it came to arguing before the PUC about net metering for consumers, for businesses and homeowners, Nevada Energy said, these things don't apply. These externalities are not relevant. And what's really sad is the Nevada Public Utilities Commission accepted these completely inconsistent arguments. So that's just wrong. And there's going to be a bunch of lawsuits about this. There's going to be class action suits of homeowners that bought solar. There's going to be investigations that are going on at the PUC and the governor's office. I'm pretty sure that nobody's going to make a dumb mistake like that again, but it's really inconvenient right now. Now, those are other states. And you've got to watch out. If you're not in California, you know, these states are, are getting lobbied very heavily by the utility and the fossil fuel industry to, to eliminate net metering. So here in California, the preliminary ruling is that we'll continue with retail net metering, except for something called non-bypassable charges. There's going to be a $100 or so application fee. And you, and everybody who gets solar in this tentative decision has to go on a time-of-use electric rates. Now, let's kind of talk about what some of these things are. The non-bypassable charges are things like the public goods charges and, and charges that are in your electric bill for nuclear decommissioning, you know, these nuclear plants that we put in, that we got power from, and then we had to, to shut them off. Well, it takes like 30 years to shut these things down and clean them up or longer. So there's charges that we're going to see till we die. These non-bypassable charges or NBC charges, it's another TLA or three-letter acronym that we throw around, are going to add up to two or three cents a kilowatt hour. So if your your rate is twenty five cents a kilowatt hour, the net metering two point might reimburse you at twenty two or twenty three cents a kilowatt hour, and the charges are going to apply to all electricity that you buy from the utility. The electricity that is delivered from the utility to you, not the net amount. So when your meter's running backwards, these non bypassable charges aren't reversed. When you self consume these non-bypassable charges don't apply because it's just like, you know, you're using less power in your house. So you look at your electric meter, there's a little emblem on there, a little symbol that says delivered. As long as that delivered symbol is, is showing, all the kilowatt hours that happen when it says delivered, there's going to be an extra two or three cents a kilowatt hour. If you have storage and you self-consume, then those non-bypassable charges really don't apply um, for, for what you're consuming yourself. Um, they'll also be 
an application fee. Now, this application fee, 100 150 bucks. we're not sure what it is. It's a little inconvenient, but it's reasonable. Utilities have to do some work. There's a, a bunch of paperwork that they require that they then have to review and approve before they allow a, a homeowner to go solar. The charge used to be, in, in PG&E territory, used to be $477. So 100 bucks, you know, pretty fair. The third thing that's going to change in this preliminary decision is that it's mandatory that all solar customers go on time of use. Now, time of use is when you have a different electric rate during the day than at night. And the way it's designed is they charge more for electricity when a lot of people are using electricity, like in the afternoon. They don't charge a lot of money for electricity in the middle of the night when there's excess electricity. Now, what's happened in California and other states is that because we have a lot of solar generation, we're generating a lot of electricity in the peak, like during noon, 1, 2 o'clock. And the peak consumption used to be around 1 or 2 o'clock, but because we have so much electricity generation, the peak consumption, the peak generation right now in California is is shifted much more towards later afternoon. So time of use is good for many solar customers, but it could be a problem if you're a person that that is home all day and uses a lot of air conditioning that may have a solar array on the east – as opposed to the West, because the time of use rates are oriented more towards afternoon use. And uh, it may not make sense for everybody. So we'll see how that works out. I would say that we want to continue to give homeowners a choice as to whether or not they want to go on time of use, but we'll see. Overall, I think the Public Utilities Commission made a very a, a good, balanced decision. Um, the solar industry is one of the shining star examples of, of growth in California. It, the industry applies more people than the um, independent investor-owned utilities. That's just kind of amazing. More people working in solar than PG&E, Southern California Edison, and San Diego Gas and Electric combined. And I hope that the Public Utilities Commission doesn't relent to the utility arguments for higher profits for themselves. But you know, you gotta gotta expect that the utilities will continue to fight hard for less beneficial net metering, and they're gonna cry cry wolf and say it's gonna be the end of the world. But really, it's it's the simplest program out there. We have to realize also other states have made bad decisions, and these decisions are also pending in a lot of other locations. And hopefully, the solar industry is going to continue its successful advocacy for preserving net metering that is really fair and reasonable to solar customers. And you got to consider these externalities, not believe the utility arguments that they're going to ignore things like cleaner air and jobs and, and uh, higher taxes. Now, we talked a lot about the ITC and net metering. There's other state incentives. There's rebates in some states. There's tax credits. And if you're wondering what the incentives are in your location, there's a great website called DSIRE, the Database of State Incentives for Renewable Energy or DESIRE. So, Here are my recommendations. For California homeowners and businesses, I'd love it if you were to install solar at at your earliest convenience, and and my earliest convenience as a solar installer. But there's no real big emergency. You know, take your time, make a good decision, get get, get some good quotes, and then put the system in. Don't ignore solar. And, And this is, you know, one of my biggest recommendations. I can't really think of any customer that I've ever had in in 15 years here in California that was reluctant, that felt that they made a mistake by installing solar earlier than later. It's always better. The current net metering is best. You'll be grandfathered for 20 years. The future net metering sometime in 2016 is going to kick in. Not going to be as good, but it's still going to be okay. And there's going to be a complicated transition time between net metering one and net metering two, and your installer can kind of help step you through that. If you're in other states, definitely take care of of the incentives that are there now and take take advantage of the net metering that you can get now because the incentives won't get any better. And the net metering 
is not going to get any better. If you have full retail net metering now, that's not the utilities are going to try and change that. And candidly, as I mentioned, it's always good to put in solar sooner rather than later because the moment you have that meter going backwards, you're reducing your electric bill, you're taking advantage of current incentives, and you're really doing the right thing for the environment and the economy. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 